turn while I'm getting set up here to John chapter 3. John chapter 3 in your Bibles. What glorious worship, amen? One of the things that sometimes we forget is the whole service is worship, right? The, the praising God and the proclaiming of God's word is all worship. The praying is all worship. When we come on Sunday morning, we are coming to worship God in everything we do gives glory to God when our hearts are filled with a heart of worship. Amen. So as we enter in to the gospel of John, let's come before the Lord and ask for his help. Father God, we thank you for this great privilege, Lord, of being gathered. Lord, we have the freedom to gather on Sunday. We have the freedom and the safety to gather on Sunday when so many in the world do not have that freedom. Where there are places where the church is underground for fear of attack and for fear of violence done to the church. But Lord, we thank you that you are strengthening and spreading your church in persecuted uh, countries where persecution is occurring. And we thank you, Lord God, for the freedoms that we have here. And we pray that you would grant us hearts that are just on fire for you, that we would be so full of the Holy Spirit as the people of God, that we'd be full, so full of the word of God and so full of a holy boldness that we could not help but share Jesus with a dying world, with a lost world. So we pray for your help now, Lord, as we get into this gospel, Lord, who's able for these things, Lord, who's able to preach the divine word of God and do it justice. But Lord, I pray that your spirit would be upon this moment, that you would be touching our hearts even now, that the spirit of God would be moving on each and every heart in the room. And you know we, what we've come in with, you know, what kind of issues we're facing, you know, if we're lost right now, you know, if we're discouraged, you know, if we're suffering. And I pray, Father, that you would bring a word that would meet us right where we need it most. And we ask for your Holy Spirit to come in Jesus name. Amen. So one of the shows that we love to watch in the Phillips household is on the Food Network and it's called Restaurant Impossible, right? So Restaurant Impossible, the whole point of it is a uh, basically a world-class chef named Robert Irvine goes to all of these failing restaurants. And these restaurants are just utterly destitute, right? They are, they, they're in some place, they're just being mismanaged. The food is terrible. And they're slowly dying and going out of business. And so Robert Irvine's tasked with two days to identify what the issues are, to basically confront the owners with the condition that they're in and then provide a solution of hope, right? So 
and, and Robert Irvine is this big military British dude, right? He's this just yoked up chef who is, and he's very military-esque too. He has a military background. So he's, he's like a drill sergeant on some levels. And he goes up in there and he just tells them like it is, right? He's like, these places, like, you need to know they're dead on arrival, right? They're flatlining as restaurants and they need help. And, and, and ultimately, what he does is he'll go in, he'll watch their service, he'll observe what they're doing, he'll try their food, and then he'll have a sit down with them to help them to see the condition of the restaurant and their need for change, right? So he, he, he's, he's about resurrection, right? Because these are dead restaurants and he's about bringing life back into them. And he tells it like it is and then he provides the solution to the problem. And in many cases, they don't want to hear it. And they need to be stabbed awake by like shock therapy from the drill sergeant, um, <laughs> Chef Robert Irvine. And you kind of see it in real time. You see them just kind of awakening and being confronted with where they're at. And then they reach out for hope. So he's kind of like this culinary savior, right? Sailing in to a dead restaurant to bring it back to life. And that's what, we're, that's what we're headed into when we come to John chapter 3 once again. When we come to John chapter 3 and some of the most famous verses of the Bible, John 3.16 and following, we are getting help, right? We're getting help that like mission impossible is being made possible by God's great love that he would send his son into a dying world to wake it up to its need and to rescue all who will believe. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? So you, you might be in here today and things are falling apart. Maybe your marriage is a mess. Maybe you're dealing with this duplicitous sort of living where you're showing people one thing, but deep down, you're just all busted up. And you're living in a web of lies and you can't even tell what's true anymore. And you know you're lost, right? This passage is hope for hurting people. It's hope for sinners. It's hope for broken people living in a broken world, right? And we just, we just have to turn on the news and look at what's going on in Israel to know we are in a messed up world, right? That evil is real. That human suffering and sin and wickedness is a real problem. And the, real, the, the, the reality that you recognize it, that you're in touch with it, means that you're awake on one level to the fact that we need someone to come and save us. And deep down, the Bible says we all know that, but we suppress that truth in unrighteousness if we're not Christians. And we were, as Christians, before we knew the Lord, we were suppressing that truth and running away from God in our sin. 
We were like these restaurant owners who just were clueless and they didn't want to look at the problem. That's who we were. So as we get into this passage, I want us to see the mission is about the salvation of sinners, right? The confrontation that's going to happen is Jesus helps us see our darkness. And then the solution is faith in Christ alone. Now that might not be the order they come in the text, but, the, but it's all there. So John chapter 3 Verse 16 through 21. This is God's word, right? So we want to make sure that this isn't just my opinion. This is God's word right here for us today. For God, this is verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment, or maybe, and this is the confrontation. This is the condemnation. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So we see there's a mission, there's a confrontation, and then there's a solution offered in this passage to us. And nothing could be more relevant, whether you're a believer or not a believer in this room, you desperately need this message, right? We need to be, we need reminders of just what God's up to in the world and just what he did 2,000 years ago when he sent Jesus into it. And made mission impossible possible by living a perfect life, dying upon a cross, rising up out of the grave to give life to any who will believe. So point number one, the mission, the mission, Jesus came to save sinners. Look at it in verse 16. This is, this is God's heart for you in the room right now. Like this is God's heart for you and for me. For God so loved the world. That's the world of fallen, broken humanity. That's the world of restaurant owners with failing restaurants, right? We all have a, a failing restaurant going on in our soul, okay? And, and God so loves us that he gave his son, verse 16 says, that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, in the judgment, but have eternal life. In verse 17, this is so you understand God's intention in sending his son. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. 
So it's like God wants you to know right off the bat that he sent his son on a divine rescue mission to save broken, messed up, corrupt people just like me and you. Right? People who struggle with sin. People swallowed up with addictions. People abusing drugs. People addicted to pornography. People who are cheating on their spouses. People who are broken in all sorts of ways on the inside and they don't know how to put themselves back together and they can't. And God says that he loves you. And that's why he sent Jesus. He says, here's the bottom line. I sent my son into the world not to condemn it. The world's already condemned in its sin. Jesus did not come to condemn it when he came. He came to save. He came because there is a problem. Something has short-circuited in your soul. And the Bible calls it a sin nature. And it, it's what makes you want to run from God and run from all that is good in the light. And do your own thing. And God's saying, you know what my mission is? To send my son to save anybody who would put their trust in him. Anybody who's willing to acknowledge their need. Anybody who comes with a broken heart to God will receive mercy. So Jesus comes as the bread of life to a hungry and needy world. He comes as the light of the world to a people in darkness. He comes as the resurrection and the life to a people sentenced to death because of their sins. And He comes as the Savior and Redeemer of sinners who, as we saw last week, are wretched. They're hopeless. They're in need of rescue. So maybe you're in here today and, and like something's going on inside of you. And you realize you need rescue. Maybe if you're, in a, believer, uh, you're a believer in here today and you're, you're realizing, like, I have just, I have missed the glory of the gospel and my soul shriveling because I'm not, I'm not telling that old, old story to myself. I'm forgetting to share the message of God's glorious love for sinners to myself and to my family on a regular basis. Because this, this is how life gets breathed back into a church. This is how life gets breathed back into a family. This is how rescue comes. By telling that glorious news of God's gracious love for sinners. He's hope for the hopeless. He's salvation for the needy. And he's light for the lost. That's who Jesus is. Have you experienced that hope? Have you experienced that rescue? Because we're not talking about, you know, a salvation that is just theoretical. 
but is real and experiential. Christianity isn't just a religion that you just follow, but it's a relationship that lays hold of you through Jesus, and you, you begin to see the world a new way. You become a new person because a rescue has come. There's hope flooded because somebody's come to deal with the real you and your real brokenness. So that's what verse 16 is all about, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus says that all over this gospel, right? Our, our scripture reading earlier was about the very intention of this gospel, this good news, this gospel of John that he wrote is to lay before you the beauty and the glory of the Son of God so that you might believe in Him, and by believing, you might have life in His name. So John's intention is the same as God's intention. And Jesus says in John 5.24 the same thing. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. That's what salvation is. It's coming to know God forever. He does not come into judgment, but he has passed from death to life. The Bible says our brokenness, another name for it, is that we're spiritually dead or we're separated from God because we've dishonored Him and because we've done things that are against His good designs and we've been running away. All we like sheep have gone astray, each of us to our own way. But the Lord laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. That's the heart of God towards us. To bring salvation into your life. And I remember fighting hard against this message for most of my young teenage slash young adult life. I just could not stand it that somebody would tell me I need to be saved. It's like Robert Irvine coming in and telling me my restaurant's messed up. You don't tell me my restaurant's messed up, right? We don't like that. But deep down, we know it's true. And deep down, the folks in that program always knew it was broken. They always knew it was, it was messed up. They always knew, their, their business is failing right before their eyes, but they don't see. And some of them treated Robert like he was hostile. And they didn't know his intention was to save. And some of you in here today see God like that. And you have a hostility, a hardness, and God is just breaking that down. He's showing you what life apart from him looks like. And then he's like, I've got rescue for you. Are you done with all that running? Are you done with all that hiding? Are you done with all that sin? Are you done with all that making a mess of your life? Because I got good things for you. I sent my son. That's how much I love you. And if I didn't spare my son, how much more am I going to give you everything you need? So that's the heart of God towards us. 
It's what Romans 5, 5, 8, Romans 5, 8 says. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's a demonstration of God's love for you. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more will we be saved by him from the wrath of God. God is a just judge. And he will hold us accountable for our sins. But he's also a merciful father. And that's why he sent Jesus to rescue us. He sent his son to rescue us from his wrath if we'll have it. <laughs> so point number one, the mission he came to save. Point number two, here's where it gets a little hard. The confrontation, right? The confrontation. We need to be confronted with our need. And we need to see that the world is already under condemnation. And that's what verse 19 says. It's, it's showing us. It's screaming at us our need. Right? This is what God has to say about the world. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their works were evil. That's not me saying that. That's Jesus, right? For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. It's like turning a light on in a dark room and watching the roaches scatter. They don't want to be in the light, right? You found them out. Beloved, this is the judgment. The world is not filled with good people really wanting to do the right thing. It's filled with broken people who are doing the wrong thing. Now, people are not as bad as they could be. And that's because of God's restraining grace in the world. And every so often we get a glimpse of what pure, unvarnished evil looks like. And you got a glimpse this week. You got a glimpse of it. If you can see the beheading of babies and not have a moral revulsion go into the core of your soul and say, that is pure evil in the sight of God. And God is more upset about it than you could ever be. Then you need to know that there's a sense in all of us that, that justice is coming for our wickedness. And God will hold men and women, boys and girls, young adults. He'll hold us to account one day for what we've done in this life. All of the ugliness, all of the cross words, all of the lies, all of the gossip, all of the stuff you do in the dark. All of the stuff you hide from your spouse. All of the stuff that you're doing in secret, God sees it. And God holds you accountable. And me too. But God is just filled with love. His heart breaks at the wretchedness of the world, but it's filled with love. And that is why he sent the light. 
That's why He sent it. And this is the judgment that men love darkness rather than the light. We need Jesus talking to us like that, right? He's tough and tender. He's the good shepherd and He's the Lord of the universe. So, the Chef Robert thing, right? That's an appropriate image. Because Chef Robert is a culinary authority. And he comes into your restaurant and he says, it's broken. It's a mess. There are roaches. There's spoiling food. You're $100,000 in debt. And you need rescue. And I've watched some of those shows and it's like people just, it's just like you could watch them hearing the reality of it and they don't want to believe it. They're like, no, 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 that's not me. That's not, no, I'm a great chef. It's like your food is terrible. That's why nobody's here. Now he says it pretty harsh, but he says what's true. Now Jesus is a compassionate savior. Right? He's a compassionate Savior. He's, he's showing you your needs so you'll run to Him for rescue. He didn't come into the world to condemn it. The first time He came to save. One day He will come again as the judge of all the earth. And He will lay our souls bare. And there will be no argument with God on that day. We will have the account book settled. But Jesus is coming to you just in that moment of confrontation and saying, the reason you don't come to me is because you love darkness. And the reason you love darkness is because it hides what you're doing. And some of you in here today desperately need to hear that message. God sees and God loves you. And God wants to rescue. That's his heart. And he sent his son into the world as a spotlight. That's why people get uncomfortable, right? I used to, like, whenever my, growing up, whenever my mom would bring me on to church on, like, Sunday, I'd get, like, a little sweaty, you know? I was like, oh, I'm in church. <laughs> okay. Like, and, and it would, it's just a little awkward, and I, the message, like, about what my heart is like, mm, bristle at that. But God was so patient with me over the years. So patient. Sometimes the Lord will let you make a mess of your life so you'll wake up. Amen. And then you'll run to him. And some of you right now, you're trapped in darkness. Like you're, you're, you've been going the wrong way and you continue to persist in that. And God is saying to you, I love you. I love you. And I came for you. I sent my son for you. And Jesus said, if the son has set you free, then you're free indeed. You know, our greatest problem from the moment we're born is we need redemption. Our greatest, pro that's why you don't have to tell children how to do wrong. They just learn it all on their own, right? You don't have to, you don't have to train them on that thing, right? 
I was lying, cheating, stealing. And nobody was like, all right, Peter, we're going to have a lesson on how to, how to steal from dad, how to take money out of his wallet, right? I just learned that all by myself. Because we're bent, we're broken, and the Bible's true. The people, verse 19, and the people loved darkness rather than the light. Because why? Because their works were evil. Now, you might say, oh, I'm, I'm you know, uh, Brother Peter used to be in drugs and used to be into, you know, all this stuff. And I'm, I'm not really the partying type. You know, I was good. Right? I did some religious stuff. I tried to earn a little bit. You know, like, God's, God's going to see that. He's going to see. Like, but the reality is, sometimes our religious activity is nothing more than a cover, right? A, a religious game that we play to try to earn favor with God when deep down we just want to do our own thing. And deep down we just want to look good for, for others. And deep down we don't want to give God glory for anything. We want to take all the credit, right? That's what the Apostle Paul was like. Last week we learned that, right? Like he's like so zealous he's hunting down Christians and he's a religious man. And he thinks he's serving God, but he's blind and he's in darkness and he's running from the light. And Jesus has to just shine that light into his life. It's like, I got to show you your heart. And that's what verse 19 is all about. The light has come, but men prefer the darkness to the light. Jesus said in John 8, 12, this is who he is. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Do you know what it looks like when Jesus gets a hold of somebody and they really get saved? Their life starts changing, right? They were going one way. They were God haters. They were running from the light. They were participating in all kinds of evil. And then they get flipped around and they're like, I want to live for God. I want to walk in the light and I want to let my light shine. What does Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount, right? You're a city on a hill. Don't put your light under a basket. Put it on the lampstand so all can see that they might give glory to who? To you? Or to God. That they might give glory to God. Let your light shine. They're light lovers. That's what verse 21 is all about, right? But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it might be clearly seen that their works have been carried out in God. They have been grabbed a hold of by God and they're living for him now. That's how you know the light lovers. Or the Christian. Because Jesus is the light of the world and Christians want to walk in the light. So if you're walking in darkness, you're not a Christian. Or you need to repent because you are horribly backslidden. Then God loves you and just saying, come back. Come to me. That's what Jesus says to wounded sinners and broken people. He says he's the light of the world. And then he says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So will you take the confrontation of Christ and look at yourself truly before the light of God and then see that there's a solution? His name's Jesus. He's the real deal. Right? He provides a real salvation for real sinners with real hope, real rescue that will transform your life. There's no way I would be in a pulpit preaching Jesus if he didn't grab a hold of me. I hated Christians. Right? Point number three, the solution. Right? The solution is faith in Christ alone. Look at it in verse 18. Like, check this out. This is right here. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. What do we sing? In Christ alone our hope is found. We're saved by grace alone. That's the gift of God sending Jesus into the world. By grace alone, through faith alone, Personal trust in Christ alone, according to the Scriptures alone, for the glory of God alone. That's the message of the Gospel. There's hope for us. Like Christians, rejoice in the glory of the Gospel laid bare. The plan of God. The hope of God. The rescue of God. And we see that this rescue can only come if we receive Christ as Savior by faith. Now, we talked about this whole restaurant impossible thing, right? Do you know what had to happen in every situation that Robert Irvine came into? Right? If he tells them what's wrong, if he shows them what's wrong, if he gets in the nitty gritty to help them, and they're resisting all of that, and they're wanting to run from that, and they don't want to hear that, and they remain that way, they're going under, right? But as soon as they made a decision to trust him, He's the culinary savior, right? We're going to trust you. <laughs> We're going to put our lives in your hands. We're going to put our restaurant in your hands. Everything started to change. And the same is true, except a hundred thousand times more real, right? Like God promises that if you trust Jesus, if you stop this one arm's distance thing with Jesus, and you embrace Jesus as Savior, you will experience the rescue. But you give him the Heisman, right? The Heisman, that means you're resisting. And there is no salvation if we resist the Lord. Verse 15 says it, right? Look back to that. It says that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Verse 16 says it. 
For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that what? That whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. It's the believing ones that experience the rescue. And so many people are perishing in the world because they are stiff-arming God in loving their sin. God turns the light on. God shows you your need. God shows you the hopeless state of our souls. And as long as we resist, we don't experience rescue. But as soon as we do, grace comes in. Life comes in. Hope comes in. That's what Paul said in Ephesians 2.8. He said, for by grace you have been saved through what? Through faith. And this is not your own doing. You can't save yourself. You can't fix your restaurant. But it's a gift of God. Not a result of works that no one may boast. You know what faith is? It's reaching out with an empty hand and grabbing a hold of Jesus as your rescuer. And all that he is for you. And all the hope he provides. And all of the healing. And all of the forgiveness. And all of the... the, You come out from under the weight of condemnation before a holy God. And you experience liberty and life and forgiveness and hope. You know, the world is really good at depicting the brokenness you just have to watch the news for a little bit they're good at spotting what's wrong in the world they just don't have a solution they don't have a solution jesus is the solution jesus is the heaven-sent savior jesus is the one who makes mission impossible the salvation of wicked rebellious people shaking their fist at god and doing their own thing and he says I've come to save all who will trust me. All who will wave the white flag of surrender and say, I will come to this king and I will surrender my life to him. Jesus was talking to some Jews and they didn't get what he was saying. He was talking about being the bread of life and being the hope and all this stuff. And they're like, okay, (laughs) you know, he's like talking to them about receiving him and all the stuff I'm saying. Right. And they asked him the question. They're like, what do we need to do to work the work of God? What do we need to do to get to heaven? What do we need to do to be saved? And it's interesting to what Jesus says to him to them in John 6, 28. Listen to to, to what he says to this question of how, how do we get to heaven, right? Then he said to them, or sorry, they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. You want to know what the work of God is? It's believing on the Son of God that He sent to save sinners like you and me. And it is a work of God in your soul. If any of you are a Christian today, it's because God's activity broke into your life, opened your eyes, drew you to Him, and you believed. And you were saved. 
And maybe some of you are, 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 are starting to awaken. You're starting to see. You're starting to own it. And Jesus is looking sweet to you. It's like, I need this rescue. I'm falling apart. And I know the reason why. And the Spirit of God is bearing witness with your spirit. You need this help. What we're looking at here is a window into the heart of God for you. And the only way to come through it is by receiving this glorious gift of God. You know what happens when that happens, right? The Apostle Paul walked into the city of Philippi, filled with this kind of gospel hope, filled with this message, and he walked up to a meeting of women chilling by the river. And they were trying to connect with God on some level and just be more religious and more religious. And Paul starts sharing this message about Jesus and this rich lady, a seller of purple named Lydia, starts hearing what Paul's saying about Jesus and the rescue he provides. And it says in the text that God opened her heart to receive it. And she believed. And she went back to her household and they got saved. And you got a church starting to form in Philippi. Then Paul goes back another day and there's this little slave girl. She was the property of these men and she was demon-possessed. So broken, so enslaved. And she was yelling out and mocking Paul. And Paul turns to her and cast out the demon in the name of Jesus. And all of a sudden, this girl gets saved. So you've got a rich woman and her family. You've got this slave girl at the lowest rung of the social economic ladder who was demon-possessed, delivered from darkness. And it starts causing a problem up in Philippi because all of the business that was tied to this little girl's ability to tell fortunes and all the money she was making her owners... That business has been wrecked and they are upset and they throw Paul and Silas into jail. And so Paul's in prison and they start singing hymns around midnight and God unlocks the jail and the doors swing open. And instead of going out, you know what Paul does? He stays and the jailer sees all these doors open and he's thinking he's I'm dead because in those days, if you can't keep your prisoners, you gave your life in their place if they escape. Paul says, don't do that. Do not kill yourself. And the Philippian jailer runs up to them, falls on his knees and says, what must I do to be saved? And they looked him in the eye and said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will be saved. And he put his trust in Christ. And he brought Paul to his family. And they got saved. That's what happens when this message catches fire in the soul. It begins to break out in ways that transform. And now you got a church planted in Philippi. Filled up with all sorts of people. It's a motley crew. Who would have put that together? But the spirit of the living God. And people like this rough, tatted up, big old jailer. 
getting saved, living for Jesus now. So maybe you're in here, you're like, there's no rescue for me. Oh, there is in Christ. There is in Christ. Maybe you're in here today and you're like, I, just, I don't know, like, I want to share this message, but I'm afraid. There is power in the message of Jesus Christ, crucified for sinners, sent by the Father because He loves a world that's shaking their fist at Him, running in darkness, loving the darkness. And you know what He does? He starts plucking people out of the darkness. And His light shines all up in their lives and transforms them. That's what the Gospel's all about. And maybe, maybe the Lord is doing a work in your soul today. And you just need to get real before God. And maybe you're a Christian who needs to be emboldened to open your mouth. And pray that God would give you words to declare the mystery of the gospel. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this message. We thank you, Lord, that the scriptures have been written for our growth and for our life. Lord, that this Gospel message, Lord, is a message of hope. And I just pray, Father, that you would be working on our hearts in here. Maybe there's folks in here who are trapped in addiction. Father, maybe there's some in here who have done some unspeakable things and they've, they know they're guilty before you. They know they need rescue. Father, I pray that you would begin moving on their hearts even now. That, that the confrontations happen. There's, there's a sense where we know we need the rescue. And we're just willing to yield. Father, would you be working that in hearts? And would you be producing what you did in the heart of the Philippian jailer? What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would be working that kind of faith in people's lives. Maybe if you're in here today and you just, you need prayer and you need God to break in afresh, I just ask you to raise your hand. Maybe that's you today and you need a visitation from God. You're guilty. You feel like your sin is strangling you and you need hope. You just raise your hand in the air. I'd love to pray for you. Anybody in here? Go ahead and raise them high so I can see them if anybody wants that rescue. You want God to break in. Father, I pray for the spirit of grace to fall on us. And I pray for the gift of faith to be granted. And I pray, Father, for the rescue of Christ to lay hold of us. And I pray that the mission of the church would be the mission that we saw right here in John chapter 3, and that we would get busy about sharing Christ with the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.